0: Welcome to the Obey Podcast, where we see through mainstream narrative, no propaganda, no bullshit, just the truth. And now, here's your host, Matthew Keck. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of the Obey podcast. So today's gonna be an interesting one because I have so so many thoughts. So as we kind of talked about last week, I laid out some narratives on where I see the coronavirus going. I mentioned that based on the inauguration, I might have some thoughts on where that's heading. Um, so to my surprise, Joe Biden, he he did allude to the coronavirus a bit in his inauguration address, but that was not the main focus. So I don't have lot to add, although I have been seeing some stuff coming from the media and from, I guess, Lori Lightfoot and Andrew Cuomo. Um, so the, those two conflicting narratives is st- are still present, and I'm not sure how that's headed. But with that said, I do have a lot of thoughts about the events of the inauguration and a lot of things surrounding them, and I'm just going to kind of dive in. I think this I'm going to be able to fit this all in one episode, but, but we'll see. So the, the first thing I want to talk about a bit is I'm going to use something relevant to the inauguration as a bit of a springboard to just talk about i guess culture and propaganda so why why am i bringing this up well at the inauguration there was something that i found obnoxious and it came up in just about every single news report that i listened to so they had a 22 year old poet speak at biden's inauguration and her name is amanda gorman and she was invited by the president, and she, I guess, is going to have a couple books come out that have not been released yet, but are already bestsellers after this poem occurred, and this really, the her her few minute uh, poem that she delivered really captured the mind of the left. So I, I'm going to read off a few lines from it. Um, this was printed in the Wall Street Journal, um, and, and you can find the full version online, but I, I, I just wanted to, if you're not aware of this, I just want to read a few lines and then talk about it. So, a, a little way in, it says, "And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but this doesn't mean we're striving to form a union that is perfect. We're striving to form. We're striving to forge our union with purpose. We will not march back to what was, but move what, to what shall be. A country that is bruised but whole, benevolent but bold, fierce and free." We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover, and every known nook of our nation and every corner called our country, our people diverse and dutiful, will emerge battered but beautiful. Okay, so (laughs) I had a... I had a lot of problems with this because, um, and, and the poet, to give her some credit, she delivered her poem in a, in a much better way than I just did, right? Um, I As you know, if you listen to this, I, I stutter, I stammer, and that's something I work through. And she is a very eloquent speaker who has a lot of rhythm, and she has um, a lot of good wordplay, a lot of alliteration and rhyming that flows very well. Um, unfortunately, I, and this is going to play into talking about Biden's inauguration speech, but I, I find this somewhat subtle, if not over uh, propaganda, and it's it's probably annoying to her. I mean, I, I am criticizing a twenty-two year old, although I feel like that is within my rights based on um you know how much this poem's been picked up by a lot of the establishment left um or or type of moderate like NPR types in the last week, and and she she's not that much younger than me, so I I personally don't even feel bad criticizing her. But okay, so so what what is she talking about here? Well, she's essentially saying. Our nation is at a low point. We can rebuild. Um, but she alludes to like how our inaction will be what our next generation inherits, which is a not-so-subtle reference to things that have been criticized by like Greta Thunberg about like climate change, and how we're apparently not doing anything that's going to screw over the next generation. So although I could you know turn her words around and say that these are things referring to our national debt or Social Security, it's clearly feels like it's intended to be about things like how um you know how she mentions our people are diverse dutiful so she's saying a lot of little things that seem to be alluding to basic like left-wing talking points right so we, 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 we 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 need to rebuild but she throws an allusion to diversity we we need to reconcile so it's like a vague call for unity but remember um remember our next generation and then she kind of uses the language of a lot of climate change activists um and I, I also, um, you know, it's about forming a union. So, so, and and you know, all that all that's back to I guess. You have to remember this in the context of Joe Biden's inauguration. So she's calling for uniting around Joe Biden, right? So that that's all. Although you can argue unity should be a bipartisan message. You have to remember this is the context of a partisan political figure is taking hold of the uh, reign of power in the United States, and she's saying coalesce behind him. So uh, that's an ex- implicit endorsement of, I guess, a lot of his agenda or messaging. You, I'm sure if Trump had won, uh, you wouldn't have somebody saying those words and it wouldn't be interpreted the same exact way, even if Trump was trying to call for some sort of unity. Um, so I, 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 I guess what I'm getting at is, well, what bugs me so much about this is, in my mind, she's calling for unity around a Democrat and she's alluding to Democrat talking points yeah this is seen as like a form of art right this is poetry this is something that oh look a young person did this and it was beautiful and um, it's almost like it's not partisan to I guess endorse her work that she did here but I'm seeing this as very partisan and this kind of references a lot of what you see in the typical culture wars right where you have movies that are created by lefties in Hollywood and the if you're not really informed on any of the culture war issues a lot of things are just small choices that they they made making the movie but once you're aware of the culture wars you start to notice things like oh they um clearly shoehorned in that this character is gay or something like that and it's not a big deal but you notice it and it's not irrelevant that a lot of people in hollywood feel like those things are underrepresented so they're kind of can be at times pandering i'm not saying this all the time i'm not saying it's always done with bad intent i'm not saying it's only to control but i'm saying you have people who have these views like oh this group of people is underrepresented so then they make movies that go out of their way to represent certain groups of people um so what i'm getting at here is the left has such control over these like basic Basic form of art and entertainment that a lot of people probably wouldn't flinch at the endorsement of this message on something like NPR. Um, but I do, and that's because I don't share a lot of their values and goals. And one, one of the issues with the Liberty Movement, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a part of that issue is I, I go on the internet and I, I make two podcasts, right? I do this podcast where I do solo episodes talking about issues that I see in the news, and I do a, a podcast with a, my, my, my friend, who's also named Matt, who um, we, we, we disagree with on pretty much everything, but we, 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 we do an hour-long conversation where we break down issues or philosophy. And that, that's all well and good, but I'm not going out there creating you know a movie, Right? You have people like Pete Quinones, who makes a documentary that's on Amazon, The, the Monopoly on Violence, that people can actually watch and learn. And that, uh, that, that's at least somewhat t- touching on like uh, the culture. And you had this movie come out in 2018 called Little Pink House, which is all about eminent domain and the government stealing a woman's house, essentially, and then never even doing anything with it, all for crony capitalist reasons. And that's a really powerful movie, and I think that's a good example of what maybe the liberty movement is missing as creators out there showing these stories about, I guess, individualism and government atrocities. So I I, I I guess I talk about all this just to just remind people that our cultural institutions shape a lot of people's perceptions. So people listen to this poet, and they, 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 they don't flinch. They think, yeah, that, that sounded good, and yeah, it was vaguely about some some things that could be seen as partisan, but whatever, that's how things are. And things don't need to be that way. And I think that might be the battlefield going forward on people's minds. And this is something The Daily Wire is trying to do. I haven't watched their new movie yet, but I probably will in the near future. And they're trying to do movies that are more conservative, but not in a God's Not Dead type of way, more in an individualism type of way. And, and I think that's something we need. Because if, if we don't, people are just going to continue consuming what what, what, what they're consuming. And if that's whatever Netflix decides to pump out, where, you know, the Obamas recently got a contract at Netflix to produce content, then people are going to watch that. Um, and if there isn't a reasonable alternative of liberty-oriented content that, that at least in a subtle way is pro-liberty, then we aren't going to get anywhere. Um, okay, so, so, so that's the first tangent I want to talk about. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Joe Biden's inauguration speech as a whole. And it is something that I listened to a couple times. I listened to the day it occurred, and I, j- I just re listened to it recently. And I, I found it really abhorrent, but I kind of wanted to tr- try to parse out why and go a little beyond like the Boomer Con reaction. So, so after I heard the speech the first time, I hadn't heard any reactions to it yet. It's probably like an hour after the speech happened. My, 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 my first thought is oh no, people like um, Ben Shapiro are going to say, hey, Unity is great and all, but Joe Biden doesn't really want unity. He's being cynical. Um, he really wants to push a leftist agenda. He doesn't want real unity. So the, his speech is a lie. Um, and if you haven't heard his speech, I guess I'd implore you to listen to it. It's only about 20 minutes. But Joe Biden essentially kind of lays out—he vaguely alludes to a lot of the things he ran on—and then he calls for you know bringing the nation back together. And he does—he does call for unity. I think he mentioned it about a dozen times. I don't have that number offhand, but I, I know I heard it alluded to at some point in the last week. Um, but his speech was the unity speech, and I—and that, that's not very um, debatable. I think everybody's kind of come to that conclusion. So, so I wanted to bring up a criticism of it from the Wall Street Journal and their their opinion page on Thursday january 21st they they had a little section um that it's just from their whole editorial board and the title it was titled biden's unity address if you want to look it up um but essentially his over so 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 to quote it it says the overall theme was unity which he called our path forward his best note on that point was a call to start fresh and listen to one another politics doesn't have to be a raging fire he said disagreement should not lead to to, dis to disunion in this call to unify, there is also too much of a suggestion that we are obliged to unite around one point of view. Um, I know that the forces that divide us are deep and they are real, but I also know they are not new, Mr. Biden said. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. So our political differences are between those who believe in American ideals and those who are racist and nativists. This sounds too much like Barack Obama's habit of casting differences of ideology or policy as divisions between enlightenment and bigotry. Okay, so the Wall Street Journal's take is essentially that Boomer Con take I described. It's like, yeah, Biden called for unity and starting fresh, but in reality, he kind of implied that everybody that disagrees with him is a bigot of sorts. So I, I, I do think that's not an incorrect reading of his speech. But I think it kind of misses a little bit of the point, and that's why I don't really like this Boomercon take. So it gets like 75% of the way there, but he just puts together the conclusion that that's potentially a radicalizing message. Um, so Joe Biden talks about unity, but then he implies that the people who didn't agree with him or aren't willing to jump on board are bad people. Well, th- this kind of calls into question everything about the idea of unity. So we live in a country where a lot of people disagree on a lot of political issues, and they want to take holds of power so they can dominate the other person with their idea, ideas and their principles. That isn't unity, and that can't be unity. As long as there are people who want to, you know, enforce their political agenda, steal money from you to do it, and w- 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 whether that's bombing people in Iran, or whether it's expanding uh, universal basic income, they still want to steal your money to enforce their agenda. It, it doesn't matter why, it doesn't matter how much you agree with it, because there are people out there who disagree with it, and you're still going to violently enforce it through taxation and through the, gov- the, the through, through, through the blunt instrument of violence that is the government. So that, that that's, that's the issue. You have this ring of power in the middle, and then people are going to fight over it. It's impossible to have unity, and if you want unity with somebody who's going to leverage this power over you, you're a fool. Because, like, I'm looking at the same Wall Street Journal opinion page. And on the next page, there's an article about the NASDAQ potentially requiring um, a diverse set. Or, 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 it's potentially requiring a diverse board for a company to be allowed to be publicly listed on the NASDAQ. So you can debate that all you want. You can say the NASDAQ's private. The point I'm getting at is a lot of people on the left think that companies should probably be required to have a diverse board of CEOs. And these people, if they had enough power, wouldn't be afraid of using laws to mandate that. Well, the, the author of the opinion piece about it is saying, well, if these diverse boards are supposed to be effective, then they'll make more profit, so they'll end up naturally happening. That, that's what he's getting at. So the point is, the two sides of that argument is, there's probably a population that would be very happy to use the ring, to just enforce that. You don't even need the NASDAQ to do it because if they had the levers of power with the government and there were enough of them, they would just dominate you and make you do that or else they'd, you know, um, dismantle your company. And then you have a person who's being, I guess in my mind, reasonable and saying, well, there are studies that show diverse boards are successful, so just let them keep happening and then naturally the boards will get more diverse because that leads to success or else they aren't actually successful. But the whole point is, if one person is willing to just use power and authoritarianism to dominate the other, then there is no conversation. And as long as that's on the table, you can't really have unity. Because unity requires you, like, ceding to them, like, yeah, I know you have this power, and I know you want to use it in ways I don't agree with, but it's okay. You can dominate me with the power. And, then, and I think that this goes to the Michael Malice quote, like, uh that they want that the people in the cathedral want you dead but they'll settle for your submission. And it's really just, yeah, come on unity. So submit, get behind our agenda, we won't take it out on you. You just got you just got to get along with the program. And this is kind of what you see with like social media um being afraid of so they self-impose it. It's like if you submit, they they're fine with you. But the whole issue with the ring of power is There are people who want to use it to take over your life or enforce things that you won't consensually do under your own free will. So I I guess I'm taking the Wall Street Journal's point a step further and saying not only are they implying you're a bigot because of your agenda and they really just want you to jump behind theirs, but that's the reason why we should never really want unity and unity isn't even something we should pay lip service to. Now, I think this is a good message because it should radicalize people because it should kind of point to the idea that democracy isn't something that's such a good idea. You know, even if people are voting and, you know, getting their voice out, you still have one side, you know, a a slight majority trying to enforce their vision on the slight minority. You have, like, in 2018, you had Ron DeSantis take – he won the Florida governorship, but if he hadn't won, I think he won by, like – under 1.5%, so something very slim. Well, if he hadn't won, Florida might be a lockdown state right now. Florida might have been completely different since last March because if they had a Democrat, he might have been doing what like Andrew Cuomo did. And Florida could be way different in maybe a not-so-good way. All that was based on 1.5% of people who voted a different way, and the winners get to push their agenda on the other people. So having these levers of power that have so much they can do that is... I guess abhorrent and um, authoritarian inherently leads to unity being a bad idea, because unity is really just submission to whoever won. And he, in the, in this in this uh, speech, what was the quote here? Um, Disagreement should not lead to disunion. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire. Well, politics does have to be a raging fire. That's what's going to happen when you have a power center. It's inherent. There's no way politics doesn't turn into a raging fire if people just want to shove their agenda onto another group of people. If nobody has an agenda, you don't need the government, you don't need politics in the first place. So if you do have them, it's inherently going to turn out divisive, it's going to turn out with vitriol slung at each other, and it's going to naturally, especially in a world where information is so easily accessible, it's going to turn into legitimate hatred for pretty valid reasons. So, I, I think my parting message should be on this whole front of Biden's inauguration that any calls for unity should be looked at with absolute disgust. You shouldn't want unity with these people because all these people want to do is control you. They want to use your wallet as a means to their ends. And if, if you say, hey, I don't really want to consent to your agenda, they don't care. And that simply means that they don't care about you. If a Bernie Sanders supporter says, "I'm trying to give you healthcare," because that's what Bernie Sanders supporters will say, they're saying, "You're calling me a fascist, but I'm trying to give you healthcare." You should say, "No, you're not. You're trying to fit a one-size-fits-all plan on all of society." And maybe, maybe I want to spend a different amount of my resources on healthcare, but instead, you're going to steal from me and force a certain amount of this onto me, right? So, I—that I, 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 was maybe a poor example because it's going to be a deeply nuanced point about healthcare, but you—you you, you could lay out. A reasonable reason to object to their agenda, but if you lay that down, they just say, "I don't care. I'm giving you this," but they're they're giving it to you by stealing from you first, or by you know inflating away the value of all your assets first. But but they, they they insist that they don't care about your objections and they're going to do it anyway. That means that no matter what they say, they do not care about you. They don't see you as an autonomous human that should be allowed to separate from them, secede, and live your own life. They think that you are a subject to be dominated since they won the ring of power. So you should not have respect for these people. And any time they they pay lip service to unity, you should scoff on their face and be disgusted with them. And if you have the chance, you should say, hey, like like in a personal conversation, if somebody's like, why don't they just unite around Biden? Just be like, hey, maybe people don't want to unite around somebody that they think is going to dominate them with an agenda that goes against all their values. And if they say, well, I just want to give you healthcare, say, well, maybe I don't want government healthcare, and then you're going to steal from me to pay for it. It's like, there are these objections that you can make that are simple, can be summarized in three sentences, and if you get across your disdain, then I think they're pretty effective. And I think the the worse the conversation turns out, the more it just shows, there isn't common ground to be made. There are divergent worldviews that can't really be reconciled as long as this ring of power exists. Um... And the sooner we get there, the sooner we ensure it's like a peaceful divorce being on the table and things like that, where it's like, hey, you know what, all of you guys can move to Massachusetts. You guys can all pitch in 30% of your income into the pot, and you guys can figure that out. But I don't want to do that. And maybe Florida won't. And then maybe more people go to Florida that think that way. And maybe even if we can't get to ultimate anarchy, we can get to some sort of peaceful divergence where people who have their own own visions can... uh, force them on people who like 95 percent agree that'd be much better than the 51 48s we're seeing or even in presidential elections it's like Biden won and you can argue it's by a lot when you look at it electorally in terms of like electoral votes how many more states Trump would have had to win but you can't act like Biden won more than 50 what 54 55 percent of the people which means like 45 percent of voters did not like Biden and a lot of people who voted for Biden did not like Biden. So when he cites the will of the people and then calls for unity, it's disingenuous. It's a lie. And um, it should be regarded as such. So, okay, I'm glad I was able to fit all that into a reasonable episode length. I'm talking about the culture and about unity. The, the whole unity aspect really, really fired me up. And I find it, like, very disheartening and disgusting. And if anybody cites unity, you should um you should really... You should really have second thoughts about their opinions, because maybe they haven't thought about it in a nuanced way, or maybe they are a political actor who is looking to use Machiavellian tactics to kind of get you to submit indirectly and maybe think that they can trick you into submitting in, um, in, a, in, a, in a concession way. I mean, you have some dignity. You, you chose to unite with them, But in reality, what, what, what was uniting with him doing? Well, it was acting like, well, he's better than Trump, and then just submitting to whatever his agenda is for four years. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I have a lot of other rants I've been wanting to get to, so hopefully I will get those in. We we might have more than two episodes this week. We'll, we'll I guess we'll find out. Um, I definitely wanted to do an episode on the fifteen dollars minimum wage, but I am hearing that that's kind of already been conceded. I, I heard that he might only make that like a fifteen dollars minimum wage for federal workers, which is a lot different than a federal fifteen dollars minimum wage for that would apply to all workers in the country. Um, but we might do that anyways, because it's going to come up again and again sooner or later. It's not like the $15 an hour movement died. So maybe we'll talk about that in one of the next few episodes. Um, but with that said, feel free to check out the backlog of this podcast, The Obey Podcast. Um, you can also check out, as I mentioned earlier, my other podcast, Beyond Talking Points. Um, I finally caught up on our podcatchers and uploaded like about 10 episodes that had happened over the last couple months. So there, there's 40 something episodes you could check out. And it's me with my co-host, Matt, and we go through like a, a lot of a lot of random philosophical issues and things that come up like we talked about the insurrection but we've also talked about things like positive and negative rights and just the idea of democracy so you you can check that out if you're interested in a back and forth between I guess I guess I could be considered an ANCAP and to some extent he's an ANCOM to some extent he is almost like a Bernie Sanders type supporter so those debates can be interesting um But that said, I'll sign up off for today, and I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much, and uh, until next time, Um, signing off, it's Matt. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey podcast at Anchor.fm. Slash Obey Podcast or on Twitter at The Obey Podcast. Until next time. Next time.